0: The scripture reading this morning is from Matthew 26, verses 14 to 29. Then one of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and asked, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him over to you? So they counted out for him thirty pieces of silver. From then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. On the first day of the festival and unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? He replied, Go into the city to a certain man and tell him, The teacher says, My appointed time is near. I am going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve, and while they were eating, he said, Truly, I tell you, one of you will betray me. They were very sad, and they began to say one after the other, Surely you don't mean me, Lord. Jesus replied, The one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The son of man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the son of man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely you don't mean me, Rabbi, Jesus answered, You have said so. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. For the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. The word of God for the people of God.
1: Today we're in the fifth week of our series, So Great a Cloud of Witnesses. In this series, we're hearing ten stories about ten people who lived in the 20th century. We're learning that saints and martyrs didn't just live hundreds of years ago. There are saints and martyrs living and dying for Jesus in the world today. In this series, we're learning what they have to teach us about walking in the way of Jesus. Today we're going to hear the story of two friends, Oscar and Rutilio. Oscar and Rutilio were Catholic priests in Central America. They met and became friends when they were both working together at a seminary in the 1970s. It didn't take Oscar and Rutilio long to discover that they had a lot in common. They were both born in El Salvador, they were both raised in poor rural communities. They both experienced a call to ministry at a very early age. It didn't take long for Oscar and Rutilio to become fast and thick friends. But even so, Oscar and Rutilio didn't always see eye to eye. There were things that they disagreed about. One of the things that they disagreed about was the tidal wave of change that was sweeping through the Catholic Church at that time. And Back in the 1960s, there was a conference that was held in Rome, the Second Vatican Council. And that Second Vatican Council opened the door for changes in the Catholic Church that had been hundreds of years in the making. One of the big changes that came out of that meeting, that conference in the Vatican, was a renewed sense of the importance of the people in the pews to the life of the church. The leaders of the church got together at the Second Vatican Council, and they said, we need to make it clear that the church does not belong only to the priests, but the church also belongs to the people. The ministries of the church are not just done by the priests. The ministries of the church are also done by the people. The worship of the church is not just for the priests. The worship of the church is for and of the people. One of the ways in which this change affected the lives of ordinary Catholics and Catholic priests was was a a major renewal and reform in the way that, that worship happened in Catholic churches. Now, in Catholic worship, the high point in the Mass, the most important part in the worship service, is that moment when God's people celebrate together the sacrament of Holy Communion, the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist. And for hundreds of years in Catholic churches, this is how that moment would happen. The priest would preach a sermon, and then after the sermon, he would step away from the lectern. He would step over to the altar. And then the priest would turn and standing in front of the altar would face the elements that were on the table and turn his back to the people. And then still with his back to the people, the priest would begin to lead the people in those prayers that go all the way back to the words of Jesus as he sat at this table with his disciples. These prayers of thanksgiving that go all the way back to the earliest days of the Christian faith. And the priest would say those prayers in Latin. No matter what language the people spoke in the pews, the priest would always pray in Latin. And as he was praying, the people would simply watch and listen. The people didn't have any part in these prayers. They didn't have any words to say themselves. They simply listened as the priest with his back to them prayed in this language that very few of them even understood. And then finally, when the priest had finished with his prayers and it was time for the people to come forward, the people would come down to the front of the worship space and they would receive a a, a wafer, a piece of bread, but they would not drink from the cup. The cup most often was reserved for the priest. Only the priest would drink from the cup. This is the way that communion had happened in Catholic churches for hundreds of years. But after the Second Vatican Council with this new emphasis on the role and the importance of the people in the life of the church, all of that All of that suddenly changed. After this council that happened in the 1960s, for the first time in hundreds of years, after the priest finished the sermon, the priest was encouraged to step and stand behind the table facing the people rather than in front of the table with his back to the people. And for the first time in hundreds of years, the priest was allowed to lead the prayers of thanksgiving, not in Latin, but in whatever language the people in the pew spoke so that the people could understand these prayers. And the people now had responses to say and to sing as the priest led them through these prayers. And finally, when the people came forward to receive communion, the people were welcome not only to receive the wafer, but also for the first time in hundreds of years, the people also were welcome to drink from the cup. These were major changes in the way that Catholic worship happened. Father Rutilio was a big fan of all of these changes. He embraced these changes and reforms. He thought that the church was heading in the right direction. His friend, Father Oscar, not so much. Now, Father Oscar was fundamentally conservative and traditional. He was not somebody who liked to rock the boat. He was not somebody who liked to make waves. He wasn't so sure about all of these changes that were happening in the church that he had grown up in. These two friends, Oscar and Rutilio, decided that they were just going to have to agree to disagree about whether or not the church was headed in the right direction. Well, they stayed there together at the seminary for a few years, and then finally they went their separate ways. And after their time at the seminary, Father Oscar and Father Rutilio went in two very different directions. Father Rutilio went to become a pastor in one of the poorest communities in all of El Salvador. He went to pastor and serve a community of landless peasant laborers, people who worked on these massive sugarcane plantations for these wealthy and powerful landowners. Meanwhile, Father Oscar was elevated and elevated over and over again. He became Bishop Oscar, and then he became Archbishop Oscar, the Archbishop of San Salvador, the nation's capital city. And it was just then, it was just three weeks after Father Oscar became Archbishop Oscar, that something happened that would change his heart and take his ministry in a whole new and unexpected direction. Even as the church was celebrating the elevation of Oscar to Archbishop, his friend, Father Rutilio, out there in the countryside was making some very powerful enemies. Father Rutilio had continued to minister out of this conviction he had that the people of the church matter, the people of this world matter to God. And so he, as a pastor, spent hours and hours listening and talking to these peasant laborers, hearing about their lives, hearing about their struggles. And then he told them, you are God's beloved children. You were created with an inherent human dignity and worth and nobody in this world has the right to take that away from you. He told them how Jesus had embraced the poor and created, Criticized and condemned the wealthy and powerful people of this world. And he said, You, as Christ's body, the church, have the power to follow in Jesus' footsteps. He started organizing the people. He started teaching them how to use their voices to criticize and condemn the wealthy and the powerful landowners who had so much control and influence over their lives. And of course, this brought Father Rutilio and his ministry to the the attention of some very wealthy and powerful people. At that time, these wealthy, Wealthy landowners, they were the real power in El Salvador. They had installed a military government that that did their will and protected their interests. There were death squads that roamed the countryside and the streets of the cities, and these death squads dealt with anybody who got in the way of these powerful and wealthy people. These death squads eliminated anybody who caused trouble for these wealthy and powerful people. One day, Father Rutilio got an invitation. He was invited to come back to the village where he had been born in order to lead a a special service of worship. And so he got in a car with two of his friends and they drove out to this village in the countryside. And as they were pulling into the village, their car was attacked by gunmen. The car was riddled with bullets. Father Rutilio and his two companions were killed. When the archbishop heard what had happened, he immediately made his way out to that village. He saw his friend's body lying in the street, and then he made an announcement. He announced that the following Sunday at the cathedral in San Salvador, he himself would lead a funeral mass for his friend. And then he made another announcement, a remarkable and unprecedented announcement. He announced that that funeral mass would be the only service of worship held in all of San Salvador that day. All of the other churches would be closed. When the day came, 100,000 people made their way to the cathedral to pay their respects and remember Father Rutilio. 150 priests helped to lead the service of worship. And when the service was over... Crowds of people, person after person, started seeking out the archbishop. They came to him. All of these peasant laborers came to the archbishop. They wanted to talk to him about their pastor. They wanted to talk to him about their friend, Father Rutilio. They wanted to ask him, now that Father Rutilio is gone, who will take up our cause? Who will be our pastor? Who will speak for us now? And the archbishop listened for hours and hours as people told him their stories and opened their hearts. And then finally, when all of the people had gone home, he prayed for hours and hours late into the night. And when he got up the next morning, he had made his decision. He decided that he would be their pastor. He decided that he would continue the work that his friend had started. For the first time ever, Archbishop Oscar Romero was going to rock the boat. For the first time ever, his ministry was going to be making waves. Archbishop Oscar started broadcasting his Sunday sermons over the radio. And in his Sunday sermons, week after week, he started reading the names of those people who had been murdered, those people who had been kidnapped, those people who had been made to disappear that week. His radio program became the primary source of information for people who wanted to know what was really happening in El Salvador. Some people estimate that as many as half of the people who lived in the cities and three-quarters of the people who lived in the countryside tuned in to his radio sermons every single Sunday. Archbishop Romero started making waves at an international level. He wrote to the American president, Jimmy Carter. He called attention to the fact that the American government was supporting and propping up El Salvador's military government, that the American government was training El Salvador's military. They were equipping El Salvador's military, which meant that the American government was training and equipping the very death squads that had killed Father Rutilio. He went to Rome. He went to Vatican City and met with Pope John Paul II. He pleaded with the Pope to condemn El Salvador's military government. He said, it's so hard to lead a church that is divided. It is so hard to lead a church where so many priests and bishops support this brutal and repressive regime. Make it clear that you stand on the side of justice. Make it clear that the church in this moment stands with the people. The archbishop did all of these things and more knowing, knowing where all of these Rocking the Boat Ministries and Making Waves Ministries were likely to lead. On March twenty fourth, 1980, the Archbishop went to a hospital. He went to visit some cancer patients and some hospice patients. That night, he went to the hospital's chapel to lead a service of worship. He preached a sermon. When he was finished preaching, he stepped over and stood behind the communion table, Facing the people. And it was just then, just as he was about to lead the people in the prayers of thanksgiving, that a man stepped in through the back door of the chapel. A man raised a weapon. He fired once, he fired twice. The archbishop fell to the floor. I wish I could tell you that in dying, the archbishop was able to accomplish the work that he had started while he was living. I wish I could tell you that the leaders of the nations and the leaders of the church were finally moved to act and to stand on the side of justice, to stand for the people of El Salvador, but that's not what happened. The day after Archbishop Oscar Romero was assassinated, the American Secretary of State announced that the American government would continue to support El Salvador's government, would continue to send trainers and military equipment to El Salvador. The Pope released a sort of lukewarm statement in which he praised the archbishop, but he also made it clear that what he wanted more than anything else was unity in the church. And the message was clear, stop rocking the boat, stop making waves. The leaders of the church and the leaders of the nation were not moved to respond to the death of Archbishop Oscar Romero. But the people of the church and the people of the nations did respond. 250,000 people, a quarter of a million people, came to San Salvador for Archbishop Oscar Romero's funeral mass. One priest who was looking on said this might be the largest demonstration that's ever happened in the history of Latin America. Across the United States, thousands of people and tens of thousands of people gathered to protest their own government's involvement in training and supporting and equipping these Central American death squads. Even though the American government kept sending military equipment to El Salvador, the International Longshoremen's and Warehousemen's Union refused to deliver those weapons. The leaders of the nations and the leaders of the church were not moved by the archbishop's death, but the people of the world, the people of the church responded. And if there's any one thing that Archbishop Oscar Romero learned from his friend Rutilio, is that the people matter. This is what Jesus was saying to his friends when he gathered with them at the table. The Gospels make it clear that Jesus knew where this was headed. The Gospels make it clear that Jesus knew his ministry was drawing to a close. His enemies were moving against him. Jesus knew that if he wanted to survive, if he wanted to save himself, the best way to do that was to leave the city of Jerusalem. The best thing to do would be to flee into the countryside and give up his ministry. Stop making waves. Stop rocking the boat. But instead, in that moment of peril, instead, in that moment of danger, what did Jesus do? He gathered his friends at a table. He took a loaf of bread and he said, this is my body given for you. He took a cup and he said, this is my blood poured out for you. As they passed the bread around the table, as they passed the cup around the table, his friends didn't understand. The disciples didn't understand. It was only later that they would understand what Jesus was really saying in that moment. In that moment, what Jesus was saying to his friends, to his disciples, was this is how much you matter. This is how much you matter to me. This is how much you matter to my father. This is how much you matter in God's plan to save and heal this world. There is nowhere else in the world that I would rather be right now, even if it means giving my body, even if it means pouring out my blood. This is how much you matter. This is where I choose to be. Let's pray. God, we pray that you would give us the courage of Rutilio, the faith of Oscar. In this moment, as we encounter your son, Jesus, at this place, at this table, give us the courage and the faith to take up his ministry, to embrace the poor of this world, to speak for justice, when justice can't be found. God, we pray that as we come to this table together, you would connect us to one another and connect us to Jesus, that he might lead us in dying and in living. In Jesus we pray. Amen.